Let me tell you what's going on. We have been doing this thing, in case you've missed a few Sundays or or, our first time here, um, just a series of messages of what the nativity, what was going on through the eyes of different people. We've talked about Zechariah, we've talked about Joseph, Mary, of course. Um, Today, it's it's post-Christmas, so it would be fitting that we go to the Bible verses that talk about what happens after Jesus is born. And we pick it up. The passage in Luke chapter 2 in the, gospel, in the New Testament, Gospel of Luke, and we pick it up actually where we left off on Christmas Eve when Jesus was born, you know, and the shepherds came and, and so forth, and, and, and we're like eight days later. Here's what's going on. So that's where we are. I want to jump into this and show you what we're, what we're talking about here. And we're talking about liberation or freedom, and I'm pretty passionate about this theme, and it's a theme that, you know... Probably comes up a lot. My, my dad's always asking me because he's been spent all his life in these little Baptist churches, or at least one particular one. The only place you can go where nothing has changed. You know what I mean? That type of thing. And and um, and he's always saying, "What's your hobby horse? What's your hobby?" All all ministers have a hobby horse, and I'm like, I don't know if I have a hobby horse. I guess if I have, you know, some a theme that they continue repeats and runs through their teaching and so forth. And in my case, I think it's probably freedom and the heart. Uh, I'm pretty big on that, and, uh, and I think it's because the church in general, big C, whatever you want to say, the church in general has not done a very good job as a vehicle of, of the message of Christ. The church, and I don't mean just the Baptist church or just the Catholic church or just the Presbyterian, the church in general hasn't done a very good job of communicating this message, and I don't understand why, because it's very clear in the Bible. It's very clear. Okay, it's not a secondary teaching. It's not a, a tertiary. It's 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 primary throughout the New Testament, especially. So here we go. Uh, we're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter two. We're picking it up right after Mary has the baby and Jesus. And here we go. Verse twenty-one. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel, even before he was conceived. And of course, we know that. Then it was time for the, for the purification offering, as required by the law of Moses. After the birth of a child, so his parents took him to Jerusalem, not very far away, to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered a sacrifice according to what was required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Um, you say, what's that all about? I realize we're reading from the New Testament, but this is, they're operating under the Old Testament economy. Because, I mean, we, we think of the New Testament, well, we think of the Old Testament as before Christ, the New Testament and after Christ, or the time of Christ and afterwards. And, that, and that's true, but they're operating, even though it's in the New Testament, as we know it, they're operating under the Old Testament system of laws and, and economy, and, and basically that means that the Old Testament, uh, the, all the Old Testament Judaistic uh, system of sacrifice, and that's what they're operating under. This was customary for any good Jewish family of the time, and that's what they did. They went according to the customs. So that's what's going on here. Now here we go, verse 25, let's talk about Simeon. Now there was a man named Simeon who lived in Jerusalem. He was a righteous man, very devout He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he eagerly, watch this, watch this, he eagerly expected the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. That's key. We'll come back to that. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, the law of Moses, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God, saying, Lord, now I can die in peace. As you promised me, I have seen the Savior you have given to all the people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. That verse, back in verse 25, he eagerly expected the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. One of the things that you need to understand, not just about Simeon, but about the Jewish people of the time and of that religion, they were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting someone to come. And I, I'm not sure how much of this Simeon understood because the Bible doesn't tell us all the detail that, that, that I'd like on that area. But they were expecting some, some hero to come in, some, some guy to come in. And, and keep in mind, at this point in time, Israel's been under slavery for most of their history. They've been under slavery since King Solomon, which was several hundred years before this. So they had three kings in which they weren't under slavery, and that was King Saul, King David, King Solomon. And then after King Solomon, that all went south. And, um, and they weren't, so, so they're looking to get out from slavery. They're looking, for some, they're looking for some, you know, William the Conqueror, or they're looking for, what's his name, uh, uh, the, the, the Braveheart. They're looking for the Braveheart guy to come in and free Scotland, you know, only it's going to be Israel. They're looking for George Washington. They're looking for somebody to come in and set the kingdom straight. And not only is he going to set it politically, but he's also going to set it straight spiritually. But for all the wrongs to be righted and all the injustice to be taken care of. So they're saying, you know, the Messiah is coming. So that's what they're looking for. And they've been looking for this for several hundred years. If you go back 700 years before Christ was born, get this, 700 years before Christ was born, there's a guy named Micah, Old Testament prophet. Look what he says. But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village in Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past, meaning ancestor of David. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the time when the woman in labor gives birth to her son. Then at last, his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. They're thinking of a political kingdom here. And, and 700 years before Christ was born, that's, uh, he's, it's talked about. Isn't that amazing? Um, Let's, let's move forward in time. Again, this is B.C., so don't get your years backwards here. 500 years now. 500 years before Christ was born. There's another guy named Isaiah, or Isaiah, depending on how you pronounce his name. And major, major Old Testament prophet. Look what he says in Isaiah chapter 2. The Lord will settle international disputes. All the nations will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. All wars will stop and military training will come to an end. Come, people of Israel, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The Lord will do this. It's, a, again, a prophecy of, of the Lord to come, and they're still thinking political. By the way, those verses um, are in what we call the UN Plaza, which is right across First Avenue from the UN building. A little plaza, and there's a little park there, a little fountain, not very big. And then on the side of that wall is they have Isaiah uh, 2, 4, and 5 inscribed and I've often wanted to tell them, I, those are some, most, most of you know I do a UN uh, prayer group with some of the ambassadors about once a month or so, and I've often wanted to go find the person responsible for that and tell them, you know, you have misapplied the meaning of Isaiah chapter 2 out there, don't you? But I just figured it probably wouldn't be worthwhile to do that. 
Um, and the truth is, I'm pretty much in favor of any Bible verses being inscribed anywhere in stone. So, I, you know, maybe they had the wrong motivation. I don't know. But I'm just glad they got a couple verses up there. And they're, you know, not taken uh, too poorly out of context. Anyway, that's where that is. But again, the Jewish people are looking, at this point in time, they're looking for a conquering hero. They're looking for Superman to come in, and he's going to set things straight. He's going to kick out all the non-Jewish people, and he's going to set this, in, this kingdom up. They're looking for, kind of, what, kind of like David Ben-Gurion in 1948, who really started the Jewish state. You know, and he was quite the hero, and, and rightfully so. But it was strictly political, okay? They're looking for the political along with the spiritual to come in there and just, you know, kick tail and take names, and here we go. That's what they're looking for. One scholar put it this way, um, the emphasis in Judaism is on the notion of peace and justice between nations, and the reason that Jews didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah is they didn't believe he brought about those changes, which, which obviously he didn't. Um, he was going to be to them this political, philosophical superhero of epic proportions, and when the politics didn't change... As a matter of fact, they got a little worse around 70 A.D. You ever heard of Antiochus Epiphanes and his destroying the temple and so forth? Just some, some awful stuff. When that didn't happen, they were like, hmm, you know, what, what, what did we miss here? Listen, even the apostles, get this, even the apostles, of course, most of them were Jewish, obviously. They all were Jewish. They got, look, look there, this is in Acts chapter 1 where we're going to read. And, uh, and they're asking Jesus, okay, he, this is after Jesus has died, has gone to the grave. He's raised, been raised from the dead. And, and now he's, and after that, if you remember, if you've read any of the gospel accounts, after he gets raised from the dead, he goes around and, and just kind of, you know, I call it messing with people. He kind of goes around and says, hey, here I am, you know. And they're like, oh, you died. No, I rose from the dead. You know, that's because I'm God. He probably didn't do it with the same attitude that I would do it with because I would, I would be yeah, in your face, yeah, you know. Anyway, um, I don't think Jesus was like that. Anyway, um, so he did that, and then he's, he's getting ready to, be, to ascend into heaven. And, and, and the apostles, again, we believe it was Peter, said this. Uh, the apostles were with Jesus. They kept asking him, Lord, are you going to free Israel now? This is an ax. Are you, are you going to free Israel now and restore our kingdom? Look, look how Jesus replies. The Father sets those dates, he replied, and they are not for you to know. For when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. doesn't deny there might be a kingdom to come in the future in which Christ will reign in, in, in future times, but his point is, that's not what I was here for. I was here that people would be filled with the Spirit of God. So here's the point, and I don't want you to miss this. Jewish people are looking for a hero to set things straight in a very, very sad and dark world. They want to be liberated. Who wouldn't want to be? But because Jesus came in a most unexpected way, many people totally missed it. Because Christ came... And he changed the world in, 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 in the most unexpected way to them that he could. He changed, he changed and is changing the world by changing individuals in, internally, changing their hearts. And that ekes out into their behavior. This is so important for you to get. 
Because so many people are still trying to worry about the behavior when the problem comes back to the attitude and to the heart. And that doesn't mean that we tolerate, you know, um, abuse or that we tolerate people who misbehave. I'm not saying that. But let's don't make it a spiritual thing. Let's just talk about it in terms of being civil. No, you don't do that kind of stuff. Because what happens is we, we, we get this, stand, this external standard. Here's what a Christian does and doesn't do. And we say, oh, that's it, man. And, and then there's, no, there's never anything else. And that's not, what, that's, not what, that's not what Christ was talking about. He says it starts internally and it works its way out. Not the other way around. Um, he, Jesus, did and he does liberate from that old, tired, worn-out system of laws, of stifling rules, and he, he, t- t- he gives us something much more refreshing and, and totally different, a relationship with our Creator. Too many people still, and it doesn't matter whether it's the old Judaic system of laws or whether it's the, 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 the church laws and rules or regulations or the Christian rules and laws or whatever they happen to be, too many people still refuse to give up that guilt-laden package of religious hoo-ha for the freedom of an ongoing relationship with Christ. And that's, that's what we're about. That's what Christ is about. That, that ongoing relationship with God. I want to take you another passage and, and just show you this, but I want you to see this because here, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this now. I'm going to tell you this again, and I'm probably going to say it about another time before, before we close. Um, we just haven't, as, as believers, as followers of Christ, we just haven't done a good job of making this clear. We revert, you know, it's so easy for us to go back into our default mode of, well, I got to do what I got to do to make myself acceptable to God. <clears throat> wrong answer. You know, just the wrong answer. I trust Christ, and he does what he has to do internally, and that will have its effect long-term on the outside. Let me show you this real quick. Now let's go to Galatians chapter 3. This is in, in the New Testament. Let me show you how he, he this, is written, this is written about 65, 66 years later by the Apostle Paul. He says this, Galatians 3, verse 24. Let me put it another way. The law, and he's speaking of the law of Moses. It could be anything. The law was our guardian, our teacher, to lead us until Christ came. So now, through faith in Christ, through faith in Christ, we are made right with God. But now that faith, that faith in Christ has come, watch this, we no longer need the law as our guardian. So you all, excuse me, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism, hang on to that phrase, I'm going to come back to it, all who have been united with Christ in baptism have been made like him. Watch this, watch this, watch this. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Hmm. For you are all Christians. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And now all the promises God gave to him belong to you. Let me show you something. I want to. I want to. Uh, let's go back. I want to go back a little bit and just uh, can I go back to the slide before that? Because I want you to see. I want you to see all those. Um, first thing I want you to see is back where he says what he does in verse twenty-seven. See that all who have been united with Christ in baptism. What does that mean? 
Does that mean we have to be baptized and, and, and we're, we're made one with Christ? And, and does that mean I have to be dunked or that I have to be sprinkled or that I have to be poured or that I have to be immersed or I got to do something else? Or I Listen, you need to understand in verse 20, there's not a drop of water in that verse. Not a drop of water. Okay? Not even an iota. You say, what does that mean? The baptism there is talking about a spiritual. When one comes to Christ, he becomes baptized in the Spirit of God. He becomes immersed in the Spirit of God. Spirit of God comes into his life. And, 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 and listen, I'm not, I, I believe in baptism. I think it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's one of the two symbols that we have in the New Testament, the other being the Lord's Supper, communion. I believe in both, because, but they are symbols, and so we need to understand that. Uh, and there's some different views on exactly how, how significant that symbol should be or shouldn't be. I, I don't necessarily need to argue that. But what I do want you to understand about this is baptism doesn't bring you into Christ if one's faith is not there. Baptism is merely a symbol of one who has come to Christ. Now, we may baptize a child. We may do that as a form of dedication, of claiming that child for Christ. That's great. Nothing, that, that's terrific. But obviously, it doesn't make that person a believer. That's a choice one makes. And you can never get away from that. So the baptism there is talking about the Spirit of God. And don't, don't think that, well, it means this or it means this. Some people get really weird on this stuff. And they say, well, that means if you've got to be a believer, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you've got, you got to get baptized somewhere. You know what? It's a good thing to be baptized. We do it. We believe in it. And it's a symbol, as I said. But you could be as righteous as the next guy and never, ever, ever have experienced water baptism of any kind. I want you to know that. Okay, you could be because what God is most interested in is your heart. Wouldn't it be great if all we had to do was just go get dunked or go get sprinkled or whatever it is, and oh man, we're in? Be like a club, wouldn't it? That'd be cool, you know. You so that's not the way it works. Again, I'm not being critical and I'm not against it. Just don't get it. Don't take it to mean something that it doesn't mean which unfortunately people do too much. Okay, that's that one. Now let me, let me show you another verse, verse 28. This is what we call a, a parenthetical rabbit trail, okay? Um, I'm going to do a little parenthetical uh, thing here. Uh, verse 28. There is no longer, see that? There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all Christians, you are all one in Christ. I just want to say one thing. Folks, this was written in 65, 66 AD. Right here, right here is the verse. There are many others. Right here is one very clear verse that talks about the equality of male and female. Right here in the Bible. Okay? And, and this whole business that, and I'm, you know, and, and of all, all peoples, Jew or Gentile, you know, slave or free, classes, races, whatever. It's, we're all equal. And right here is one clear verse. You say, well, maybe you're interpreting that wrong. How many ways can you interpret that? You know? And then people say, well, why did it take Christians so long to accept uh, maybe females as, as equals or whatever? Well, because there are stupid people in the world, folks. And sometimes they call themselves Christians. And they didn't read the Bible. They didn't understand the Bible. And don't blame their ridiculous, uneducated bigotry on the Bible. Okay? You just can't do that. And it's just one of my... I just get so about that because I believe the Bible and I, and I love studying the Bible and I love teaching the Bible and when people make statements that they're just ridiculous statements um, and I, I touched on this a couple, a couple Sundays ago I think when people make ridiculous statements that just aren't true I get ticked you know I get ticked 
Um, and also, I, I just saw, you know, I'm, I'm probably fresh, more fresh on I just saw on Christmas, we saw just a, a great, great, great movie that you've got to see called The Great Debaters. Um, it's just phenomenal. It's a Denzel movie, and it's, um, I suppose I'm a bit partial to the movie because one of the heroes is the pastor. I love movies like that. <laughs> love that. <laughs> it's about time, you know. Instead of being some sleazy pervert, he was just a really good guy, you know. Um, so, so anyway, but and it, and, it, and it dealt a lot with the whole racial equality thing in, in mid 1930s in the South, and it's a powerful movie. Anyway, the Bible is very clear on that. So that's enough for my parenthetical rabbit trail, um, but a very important one. Now let's get back to what he's saying here. The law was our guardian. It brought us the law, whatever. Old Testament law for them could be some other kind of law for you. The law brought us to Christ. Now we cling to Christ. Now watch what he does with this. Next verse, chapter, we, we finish chapter 3, chapter 4, verse 1 of, of, of Galatians. Think of it this way. Here we go. If a father dies and leaves great wealth for his young children, those children are not much better off than the slaves until they grow up even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. Well, trust fund right here in the Bible, okay? And that's what he's giving us, that, that illustration, okay? He says, so, so there it is. They, they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. Watch this. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were slaves to the spiritual powers of this world. But when the right time came, that is so loaded. I'm going to come back to that. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Now, here, here's what he's, what's the right time? The right time was when Jesus was born. There are many, re, there are many things that go into that. Number, you know, and most, most people, most scholars and, and, and people that have studied this believe that it was the right time for a couple of reasons. One, there was for the first time really because of a number of different, part of it because of the Roman Empire, part of it because of some other things, there was travel from, from Africa all the way around the Mediterranean up to Europe and, and back and forth and, and, in, and in out toward the Silk Road out in Asia. Okay. There was that kind of thing going on before this. They couldn't do that. So, so here's, here's what's going on. That's happening. They have a, 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 a pre, mostly universal language, not totally, uh, that everybody speaks because, again, of the Roman Empire. It's called Koine Greek. It's not like modern Greek. Trust me on that because I've had three years of Koine Greek, and I met a Greek one time, and I tried to talk Greek to him, and it didn't work. But anyway, um, Koine Greek, and, and the example of Koine Greek is this. It's so specific, and that's why people who do what I do usually, at least, need to take some Greek because they, um, for instance, love. You know, there's four Greek words for love. So it's a very, very specific language that the Bible was written in, New Testament. So that was just the right time. And, and the other thing is, and this was really, why was Jesus born in Israel? There are many reasons why, you know, I don't know all of them, but one of the reasons was because we had what they called the international highway. Keep in mind this, if you were going to go from Europe to Asia to Africa, you had to go, you couldn't, you know, you, you can't go through Gibraltar, you know, you're not going to do that little number. <clears throat> you got to go right around Mediterranean to that little strip of land, which is called Israel, the podium to the world. Everybody would hear, you know, and that's one of the reasons that God chose Israel right there. So it was just the right time for that. So he says, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Now keep, keep going, watch this. Next verse, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law or any law 
so that we could adopt, so he could adopt us as his very own children, and because you Gentiles have become his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, and now you can call God your dear father. Now you are no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave, but you're God's own child, and since you are his child, everything he has belongs to you. Folks, I can't emphasize this enough. Does that mean that we don't have rules? Of course not. Does that mean we don't have standards? Of course not. We have standards because that's how civilization works, and that's the best way to have order in a, in a, in a, in a family or in a, in a city or in a, in a, in a country. But what we have to, where, we, where we have to stop is saying, because I follow these rules, boom, 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 which might be good rules, I therefore am more godly. And therefore, we hold up this thing. Here's what the godly person looks like. And then you get into all kinds of stereotypes, and you get into all kinds of judging, and you get into all kinds of other issues that are just, just damaging for everybody. So I'm not, I'm not saying that we have chaos. I'm saying this, that when we have this freedom in Christ, it begins on the inside. And I'll tell you what, there are, there, it, it, he just does a number in our heart, in our lives, as that continues to grow and our, 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 our attitudes begin to change and the way we treat people begins to change. And, and when we don't treat people like we should, we kind of kicks in with us and we realize it, you know. It's just a whole, different, it's a whole different way of operating. And it's called freedom. It's not being subject to the Mosaic law or not being subject to the church law or anybody's law, but the law inwardly that God puts inside us. That's what it does. And that's how it works. Um, let me read this to you. I got, I got two quotes, all right? And then, and then, then we'll get you out of here. But, but I got two quotes that I think illustrate this very well. This first one comes from a book called Messy Spirituality, Mike Iaconelli, um, and he was actually quoting somebody else. I'll show you, Robert Kappen. Look what, look what he, uh, this is just, this is so true. The church, by and large, has had a poor record of encouraging freedom. She spent so much time inculcating in us the fear of making mistakes that she has made us like ill-taught piano students. We play our songs, but we never really hear them because our main concern is not to make music, but to avoid some flub that will get us in Dutch. You know? That's so true. You know, it's not just about, oh, well, this is how I'm supposed to act. I'm not supposed to say this. No. It's about this, this, this freedom of this relationship with Christ that is refreshing and that is, is freeing, and you're not hung up on all kinds of other gunk. Okay? Church gunk or other gunk. Um, let me show you this. It comes from a book called, I'm really, I'm really sensitive, you probably know this, I'm very sensitive about using other people's stuff. I always want to give them credit. Number one, I don't want to plagiarize anybody. Number two, I know how hard it is to write it, whether it's in excerpts or not, and, and you know, my hope is, and I don't, it doesn't always happen, if somebody quotes me, they'll at least give me a little bit of credit, because it takes some hard work. Um, and this guy wrote a great book called Grace Rules, named Steve McVeigh. I took his quote and I tweaked it a little bit. I, I enhanced it a little bit, okay? Uh, because I, I, I think I got the meaning of what he was saying. And, but I'm going to show you his quote, and you're going to see some stuff in parenthesis. That's my words. The other is his words, just so you understand that. And um, it's really good. So here we go. A follower of Christ may believe his frustration comes because he doesn't adequately live up to certain rules. Follower of Christ is my words. But the real problem is that he's focusing on rules at all. Right? Watch this, watch this. A lifestyle, a lifestyle ruled by law and, here I added this, 
a lifestyle ruled by law and rules and expectations is one where the focus is on performance. It is a lifestyle which is obsessed with doing the right thing instead of being. Living out, here it is, living outwardly what Christ is doing inwardly. That's what he's communicating. It's being more, watch this, it's being, this is all his words here. It's being more concerned about rules than in a relationship with God. That's what happens. Too many times in this thing called the church, which is supposed to be the main vehicle of bringing God's grace, God's love, and the message of God's forgiveness to people. And they get all bound up in rules. I can, I can promise you a couple of things. I, I can promise you that was never God's intention. That is not the Bible's intention. I know that. And I think you do. You see the Bible. It's an effective way to manipulate people. It's an effective way to raise money. It's an effect, I don't want to be too judgmental. It's an effective way to do a lot of other things. But it's not what God had in mind. You know, and that's, that's where you are. The message of what Simeon was talking about is we have freedom when we come to Christ. The freedom of a relationship with God, not being bound down to some kind of rules and regulations and religious hoo-ha that comes with a whole bunch of guilt-laden other kinds of stuff. And it's, it's that kind of freedom. And uh, that's clearly the message of Christ. And I'm so grateful for it. And it's a great time to celebrate it at Christmas time and at Easter time and every Sunday in between. Great time to celebrate it. May God give us a new and renewed and maybe better understanding of what it means to live freely in a relationship with our Creator and with our God. Let's pray together. Oh, God, this is, um, this is so good. This is so good. Help us to comprehend it. Help us as we leave here to, to, to be able to think about it. Help us to maybe even talk to friends about it, loved ones, family members. And most importantly, help us to live it today and in the days to come. So we thank you for that, and we, we thank you and, and, and pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.